Hello and welcome to Everybody Pulls the Tarp. I'm your host, Andrew Moses, and with me today, I have a very special guest. Aaron Golub is my guest today. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Andrew, thanks so much for having me. Aaron, it's great to have you. And for my audience, Aaron made history uh, just a few years ago when he became the first legally blind Division I college football player in American history. Uh, he entered the game at Tulane University uh, and, and, and was the long snapper. Uh, in, a, in a great moment, and, and then went on to have a, a, a great career at Tulane, captain senior year, and just has a phenomenal story of overcoming challenges and adversity. adversity and you're, you're spreading all that, that, that great, those great messages to the world. And, and I'm looking forward to talking all about uh, that with you today, Aaron. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Aaron, where I want to begin is 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 maybe you know what what drew your interest to football in, in the first place. How, how you got how did you get started in football? Yeah, I mean, I, I always played sports growing up. I always loved doing things. It wasn't always team sports, sometimes was. I mean, I, I played Little League growing up. As you can imagine, that did not go very well. You know, I think I stopped playing after, like, parents stopped pitching because I couldn't hit the baseball. Um, <laughs> but then around seventh grade, I decided I really want to play a team sport again, and I want to find something that's going to work well for me, and I found football, and I figured, you know, I love the game. I could play. And so I started off and I played as an offense and defensive lineman. And, and that's what I played for the first few years until I switched over to long snapper. So what, what led to the, to the decision to switch to long snapper? Was it just a natural fit for you, you from a position? Yeah. So I think seventh grade through sophomore year of high school, I, you know, I was on the team, I was playing football, but I wasn't really playing football. And by that, I mean, I would play, you know, the end of the game, if my team was up big or down big, and that's not playing football. That's playing because the coach is sympathetic for you and wants to let you get in the game. So I basically said to myself, what can I do to be a starter? I also want to play in college. So what can I do to play in college? Not only was I legally blind, but I was a very undersized. I was never going to be, you know, a 300-pound center or defensive tackle. So that was kind of out. I couldn't play wide receiver. You know, I couldn't just catch the ball. So I figured, you know, if I get good enough at long snapping, then maybe I can have a shot. And that was a big if because, you know, just because, you know, I thought I might have a shot, I still had to work extremely hard at it. Sure. Now, when, when I want to, I want to just clarify for the audience when, when, when you talk about legally blind, um, why don't you give the audience some perspective about what that, what, what your vision is like? Cause I, I know you have, as I understand it, no vision in, 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 in one eye and very limited, very limited vision in the other. Yeah. So, I was born legally blind, and for me, what that means is I have no vision in my right eye at all, and my left is very limited. So if you take kind of your thumb and your pointer finger, make a circle, then you make that circle smaller, so maybe like two-thirds the size of a dime, and you put that hole in front of your eyesight, your eyeball, that's about the field of vision in my left eye. But then through that field of vision, you know, an average person will see 20-20 vision. My vision through that small hole is about 2200. So what that means is what you see at about 20... Uh, 200 feet away, I'll see it about 20 feet away. So how did that, how, how did it, you know, and, and this may seem like an obvious question, I guess, but, but I really am curious. I mean, how did, how did it affect, how did it affect you as you were growing up? Yeah. I mean, there were definitely things that were more challenging for me than other people. Um, it's mostly the little things, honestly. I mean, the hardest things for me are like crossing the street or like cooking dinner, you know, small things like that. I mean, growing up, I was really fortunate that my parents never, you know, just did something for me just for the sake of doing it and getting things done. 
they would have much rather seen me struggle and challenge me and eventually figure it out than just do it for me in the beginning. And that kind of instilled this, you know, mindset, I guess, of, you know, you need to work for your goals. You need to be challenged. You need to learn. Because if they just did everything for me to make it easier for me, I would have never learned from all those experiences when I was a little kid. That's really interesting. So so what you're saying is they made a, like a really conscious effort to make sure that they didn't just do everything for you. They, they let you struggle. They let you kind of find your own way and figure out your own solutions. Absolutely. They, they would never just do something for me. I mean, if I was spending you know, an absurd amount of time on something, then sure, they might help me out. But they would really much rather have seen me learn from it and grow and challenge myself. Because if, you know, take something simple, I don't know. Let's say I'm a little kid and I'm learning to like tie my shoe and, you know, it's hard for me to see the laces or something and it's taking me a while to do it. If they just do it for me, then I'm never going to learn how to tie my shoe. But if they tell me how to do it and force me to figure it out on my own, then I'm going to learn how to do it and know how to do it. And that kind of applies to everything in life. So, so, so really they took that philosophy and you, you, you took that philosophy with you throughout life and, and even we'll get to the story at Tulane and, and, and your experience there. But as you get into high school, it was it the same way they wanted you to really figure things out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, by that time, you know, I'd lived with my vision my entire life. So things you know, definitely were easier than when I was a little kid, but there's always challenges. Um, and I really had to figure things out on my own. I wanted to be really good at football and I really wanted to push myself. And they, they never pushed me to be good at football, but they allowed me the situation to succeed in football. And by that, I mean, so I, once I chose to switch over to long snapping, I got up at 5 a.m. every day and went to school to practice every single day because I knew that I had to practice every day and work 10 times harder than everyone else if I wanted to be successful. My dad would never say, hey, you want to go tomorrow morning? but he would go with me every morning. He would go and catch my snaps. He would go and help me work on my form. He never once said, Aaron, do you want to go and snap today? It's Saturday. But if I asked him, he would go help me. He was never going to push me. But if I wanted to do it and I had the mindset, if I need to do this to succeed, he would help me in any way he could. That's really interesting. And, and as you and I have talked, Aaron, like this show is called Everybody Pulls the Tarp. And, and it's based on a, a philosophy that I have that great teams and great organizations are powered by individuals who contribute far beyond the boundaries of their job description. And, and what you talked about there is, is really interesting, right? You said you had to work 10 times harder than anybody else to, to get where you wanted to go. Was there a particular moment that you, that, 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 that you realized that, that you knew you were just going to have to work that much harder than anybody else around you? Yeah, and, and I, mean, I guess to clarify, I wouldn't even say 10 times harder to be, you know, better than other people. I would say I had to work 10 times harder to be just as good as other people. Then I had to push myself even further. So 10th grade, sophomore year of high school, I really picked up long snapping. And that next summer, I was going to go to a camp to, you know, improve, get better, get nationally ranked. And I thought, you know, I was snapping every day. I thought I was going to do really well. And I get there and the ball just like flies over the punter's head and I got ranked terribly. I saw everyone else around me and I was like, wow, so I'm snapping every day and this just, you know, I'm still terrible. I'm a horrible long snapper. And I think after that camp, it clicked that I really need to figure this out. I need to put a plan into place and figure out what I need to do to work 10 times harder than everyone around me. So I want to be as good as them. And, you know, it's plain and simple. How did, so how did you go about, I'm, I'm really interested in this plan because I, I love when people, you know, set a goal 
and and put a plan in place and then they they chip away at that plan. So so how did you go about putting that plan in place? Yeah, I think there were three segments to it and it was snapping, getting stronger and getting bigger. And so the plan for snapping was I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. every day. I'm going to go practice snapping before school. You know, it was what it was. And I had to do that if I wanted to be successful. Then every single day, regardless if I had practiced after school or not, I would go lift weights because I knew I had to get a lot stronger. But then I was still undersized. So I had to figure out a plan so I could eat a lot more because I had to put on weight. It wasn't just about snapping and lifting weights. I had to find a way to put on weight so I could play at college. I could have been the best long snapper in the world. But if I didn't gain weight, I was never going to play college. So at, what, so at what point do you – everybody, it seems like, has that moment, right, where they know they might be able to do this thing at the next level. W- was there a moment where you realized in high school, hey, I, I, I might be able to do this in college at, at a Division One level? Yeah, so, you know, I think the next summer between my junior and senior year, you know, I was contacting schools. I had a much better film, and some uh, schools were starting to really respond to me. And I was going to these camps and I was getting ranked pretty highly. And as soon as I really started to get ranked really highly, then I was like, all right, this, this is going to happen. I just need to keep pushing myself. Um, and so I think that probably a year after that summer where I went to a camp and was terrible, I went back to more camps and I was you know, snapping really well. So what, so, so tell me about the connection to Tulane. And I know Tulane is a fun place. Uh, I, I, I told you before, my, my, uh, my oldest childhood friends uh, is a Tulane graduate. I spent some time there. It is a fun place. There is, there is no question. It's, it's a phenomenal school, phenomenal community. I love the food. Um, uh, uh, and of, of course, uh, you know, all the, the revelry. Um, but what drew you to Tulane? Yeah, I mean, at first it was, I was literally contacting every single school in the country. I mean, to the point that I was probably bothering so many coaches. You know, I would send like five emails and if they wouldn't respond after like the fifth email, I would take them off my list. Um, and I'm sure I was a pest to many coaches around the country. But you know, what? that's what you got to do if you want to achieve your goals. Um, finally got to the point where I had two offers to play, you know, D1. I had a couple others, you know, other levels. But for D1, it was Tulane and University of Illinois. And I really compared them and I said Tulane's a much better fit for me. The size is better. The culture is better. I think it just, you know, I took some advice from a coach that said, Pick a school that if something happens, God forbid you can't play football anymore, you'll be happy going to school. That's and it. that was Tulane. I would have been – I loved playing football there, but if something happened, I would have had a fantastic time, as you know, at Tulane. That's a great that, – that's, that's, that's great advice, right? Because in, in many ways, that gives you a fallback plan, even though you never want to um, have to rely on that, that fallback plan because it wasn't what your goal was. Um, yeah. I loved, I loved the, you know, five email, whatever it was, four or five emails to every coach. Yeah. You know, how do you, in any, in any business, in, in, in any sport and in, in any industry, um, you know, successful people have to deal with rejection and, and yeah. have to be persistent. Well, you know, how do, how do you deal with, you know, the, I, I don't want to say rejection, but you know, yeah. you know, all of us have those emails we send that, that, you know, you don't hear from or. Uh, that 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 solution you're trying to come up with that you just can't figure out. How, how do you deal with rejection or or I don't want to say failure, but you know you, you know yeah. what I'm talking about. I mean, first off, I don't see failure is a bad thing. I see it as a good thing. I see that failure is only bad if you don't learn from why you failed. And I don't make the same mistake twice because I fail probably more times than most people in the world, but I learn from every time I fail. And you just need to keep getting back up. If you really want to achieve something, you need to get up every time you're down. I mean, right now, you know, I've 
you know, broken into motivational speaking. I've been speaking all over, but really trying to jumpstart it even more and get to the point where I'm, you know, a national top speaker. I've created a list in, you know, Excel. Again, every single college football team of every single level in the country. And I'm working my three way through every single one. And I will email every single college or every single athletic director in the country until some of them start giving me a chance. Aaron, I, I, I hope, uh, you know, at least as a result of, of us talking here, there's at least one or two coaches out there. We've got a lot of coaches who, who follow this program uh, or this show. I, uh, maybe we can get you one or two uh, at least, but I, it, you're well on your way to, to, to many. So, so, so how, do you, but how do you go about learning from the failures? I mean, do you, do you have a system? Do you, do you take notes? Do you, you know, lodge them you know, in, your, in your memory bank? You know, how do you learn from you know, I know you don't call them failures, but how do you learn from those yeah. those challenges? You know, I think the, the issue is every situation is different and every response from everyone is different. And so in life, you really need to learn to adapt to your situation. Nothing's ever going to be the same and you need to be able to think on your feet. Um, I mean, it, it's pretty much simple like that. There's, there's no trick. There's no one answer. You just have to figure it out as you go and, and learn and adapt. I mean, really push yourself to get past whatever barriers in your way. But, you know, something as simple as sending out emails, for example, you know, there's no failure in the sense that, okay, maybe if you know the first 300 don't respond, okay, maybe I'll take a look at my wording of the email and figure it out. But, you know, for something like that, I've done, I've spent a lot of time on the wording and on the formatting of everything I'm sending. So it's more about getting the right person at the right time. But in everything you're doing, there's a way to fix it. There's a way to adjust. I mean, in football, I realized I was never going to be an offensive lineman in college, so I had to accept my situation, and I adapted. I adapted and found a position that would work for me. One of the things I want to get into is the Golub goggles. I've heard about these famous Golub goggles that a doctor created for you at a very early age. Tell, talk about the Golub goggles uh, for a minute. I, I, it's really interesting. Yeah, so my eye doctor at a very young age created these goggles that essentially you know, simulate my vision, as we explained earlier, kind of the right eye is blocked off, the left eye has that really small hole. And, you know, teammates, coaches put them on to kind of see what my vision is like. And, you know, we had a lot of fun playing where, you know, guys would want to put on the goggles and see what it was like to catch a football or walk around the locker room or do something like that, see if they could do it. it was, I mean, it's a great time. Did, did, do you think that helped at times, you know, um, your your teammates understand a little bit about what, a little bit about what you were going through. I mean, I think it definitely helped in some cases of you know people would put them on and then be like, oh wow, I didn't realize that this was as bad as your vision was or something like that. I think people understood and and would help me in any way I could. But once they put them on, I think they really got a good sense of what my field of vision was. Sure. Let's let's so let's let's fast forward to Tulane a bit. We've talked you know we've talked about high school. We've talked about some of your your, your childhood years. Let's talk about Tulane. So so you get to Tulane like we like we said, um, and in 2015 October, um, you get called upon by the coach at a moment's notice to go to go long snap in the game, and you make history. Yep. First legally blind Division one uh, college football player in American history. So what would talk about that moment for a minute? It must have been a, 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 an amazing amazing moment. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I had a feeling that sooner or later I was going to go in. Just, you know, it didn't necessarily mean that game, but sooner or later because I was you know, getting more reps of practice. You know, I was doing really well. My coach was, you know, building that relationship with me and he really liked me. 
so I figured whenever the opportunity came, I was going to get a chance. And, you know, I didn't expect it. And I got called in and I just went in. And it was amazing. I mean, it was a great feeling. I didn't think about the whole like making history part. I just thought about, you know, I'm going out and getting to play football, playing the game that I love. And, and how did you, I always ask people, you know, um, when, when you're doing something like that for the first time, now you're doing it, you know, in a game in front of a, in front of an audience, a big audience. Um, but it's something that you've probably done, you know, thousands and thousands of times in your life, to your point, it's a long snap. You, you've done yep. it at five in the morning for days on end with, with your dad and with, with teammates. But, but so how do you, in that moment, focus and, and, and make sure you can calm the nerves and get the job done? Yeah. I mean, when I first ran out there, I was definitely nervous. I had a lot of adrenaline, but you have to realize it's the same thing you've done thousands, tens of thousands of times. And you just have to take a couple deep breaths and relax and realize that, you know, you know what you're doing and it's going to be fine. It's the same thing as a golf swing. If you go out and you swing the club and you do it a thousand times, it should be the same swing all the time. So it's the same thing. You know, as soon as the ball releases my hands, I know exactly on the punter's tip where it's going or exactly in the holder's hands where it's going. And I know if it's good or bad snap or what. Was there one of the things I'm curious, like in your, in your time at Tulane, your, your football career at Tulane, was there any particular hurdle where that you ran into and, and you said, you know, I don't know if I can do this at this level, or I don't know if I'm good enough or th- this, this challenge, you know, it, because of my, my vision is just too big for me to surmount. Was there ever a moment that you just felt like you were really up against it more so than before? So I think the biggest thing was two months after, you know, I snapped for the first time, my coaching staff got fired. Um, we went three and nine that year and they got replaced. And I was very nervous because I didn't know if the new snap staff was going to be willing to work with me, what was going to happen. And, and coach Fritz came in and, you know, he's in first off, he's an amazing coach. He's done so much for me and continues to help me to this day. But, you know, at first he and I were both nervous. We didn't know what to think, if it was going to work out. And we basically just decided, let's do spring ball and let's see what happens. Did spring ball, did really well. Never had the discussion again. Two years later, I was named one of our team captains because of the hard work and the effort that I proved to him that I could do it. Let's talk about the name being named captain. So, you know, the hard work and, and, and the dedication that you put in, you know, um, showed him that, that 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 was a title you were deserving of. Um, but w- w- what is it like to be a, a team captain? H- how does the responsibility change? I mean, it's awesome. I, I really enjoyed it. I was so thankful that he named me one of them during the season. It just it meant so much to me just being a leader on the team, being respected by the coaches. You know, you don't, you, you don't just do it to do it. He did it because he trusted me. He respected me. He thought of me as a leader and that, that meant a lot and still does mean a lot. I mean, that was probably one of the greatest honors of my life because of the turnaround when he showed up to Tulane and he and I were both very nervous. But then two years later it came full circle and I was named one of our captains. I mean, that it just shows it all right there. The difference in what, what I showed him and how our relationship grew over those two years. And, and how, how did the relationship truly develop? Did, did, did he, did he see the work ethic? What, what was, what do you think was really the driving force between that? that Cause you used the word relationship there, which is, which is really, you know, an important, you know, word in any, you know, in any aspect of, of any um, team organization, it, it, relationships are key. What was it that really helped build that relationship? Yeah. No, and I want to be clear. I mean, when he came, he never said anything of like, you can't play or anything. He was very supportive. He just was unsure of how to do it at first. And I think just the fact that I pushed myself every single day in the weight room, every single day on the field, 
off the field, in the classroom, every single thing that I was doing, I pushed myself to my limit. And he saw that. I mean, they're around you. Coaches are around you all the time. And they know who's working hard and they know who's not working hard. They know who's putting in effort. And he saw that in me on a daily basis that I was pushing myself as hard as I could. And he just grew, the respect grew and grew and grew throughout the two years that he was there with me. It's always amazing to me, right, that, that you know, the, the true leaders, you know, are often the first ones in, the last ones out. You know, they, they do the extra time in the weight room. They get up at five in the morning to, to get those extra, you know, long snaps in. It's, it's, an, it's, it's amazing how often those who, you know, you obviously have a, a, a massive talent and skill for the long snap, but it also, you know, requires work and, and dedication and focus. And, you know, and it's a, it's a true testament to your, your work ethic. You know, you talk a lot about passion. Where, you know, where, um, where, did, where do you get the passion? And where, how do you, how do you gin up the passion? Yeah. I mean, I think it's for me, at least it's an internal drive. And with that, you know, I don't do things in life or try not to do things in life that I'm not passionate about that I don't love doing because, you know, I've, I've learned that if I really love doing something or I'm truly passionate about something, I will be successful in it because I'll push myself to ridiculous limits. I mean, limits that most people couldn't, even imagine. But if I don't enjoy doing something, if I don't love doing something, I'm really not going to work that hard in it because I don't like doing it. And so you really need to pick things that you enjoy doing. And, you know, through, I love football. I still love football. I love what I'm doing with speaking and with my regular job. And because of that, I push myself to limits that most people wouldn't because I enjoy the work I do. It's not, it's not like having a job. I love speaking. I love being able to impact and influence the lives of others. I want to talk about that for a minute because you, you know, there must be people all around the country that hear your story and are inspired, regardless of what ch- challenge they're facing or adversity they might be facing. How does that, 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 how does that make you feel? It's awesome. I mean, I love it. I, you know, during college and high school, I was never into the whole interview thing. I didn't really like it. And coach of mine, you know, if you help two other people from doing this interview, you should do it. So I did it because of that in high school and college. But, you know, over the past few years, I've really matured in the sense that I love doing it because I know that I'm creating an impact. I know that I'm inspiring the lives of others and really helping other people. And because of that, it's so much fun. I really enjoy doing it. And, it, I mean, it makes me feel amazing knowing that my speech or this podcast can really help someone who might be in a tougher, dark situation. Aaron, you're an absolute inspiration to us all. I mean, congratulations on, on all of your accomplishments. You know, it, it, it's, it's just amazing to hear you know, the, the, the work that you put in, the way you set the goal and, and, and built the plan and, and went about executing it to, to achieve your dreams. You know, we're all rooting for you. I, I, I know you're going to accomplish big things in, in, uh, in, your, in your new career, your post-football career. And uh, it's been so much fun talking to you, hearing your story. And, and again, you are an absolute inspiration to us all. And, and I know there, there are going to be a lot of people out there that hear this show or hear your speech on any stage in the future and are truly uh, inspired to, to make a difference and, and achieve thank their you. dreams. I really appreciate that. And, you know, I looking forward to continuing this and thank you again for having me. It's been a great pleasure. Aaron Golub, uh, thank you for joining. Everybody pulls the tarp.